You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Dan. As we continue on in our study of the book of Judges. Before we get into that, I'm going to give you guys a test. I'm a teacher, so that's how it rolls. Sorry. Um, it's basically fill in the blank. Okay, it's common everyday phrases. I would expect you would have heard them before, so see if you're with me here today. I am a bundle of... I was looking for nerves. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> I am at my wits end. There we go. I've had it. I'm ready to throw in the towel. Alright, this is for the younger folks in the audience. Maybe older folks will get it too, but try this one. I can't. I literally can't even. Excellent. Alright, good. So you guys got all of them. Well, after a little help, you got all of them. That's fine. So if I hear what you're telling me, you're a bundle of nerves, you're at your wit's end, you're had it, you're ready to throw in the towel, and you can't even. You guys are a mess. It's a good thing you're in church today. That's great. Maybe she's going to help you fix that up, okay? Um, so anyway, you guys were awake. That was, I've never heard Sean get that kind of response, so I'm, I'm going to have to tell him about that. Um, actually, the, in the book of Judges today, we're going to be in uh, chapter 6, and it's the story of Gideon, which many of you will know. And honestly, that was the Israelites' attitude. I can't with this. This is just, oh, okay. So that's, that's what we're entering into here. With, uh, if you want to open up your Bibles to, to Judges chapter 6, we're not going to read the whole thing. Obviously, it's a very long passage. I do recommend, though, uh, if you're going to uh, go to Life Group this week, you should take a look at this, read it through, so you can have a good conversation about it. Um, and we're only going to look at the first half of Gideon's story. Um, Sean saved the good part for himself, of course. Uh, he, he does that to me. He's, he's really good about that. Um, so at the beginning of the chapter, uh, shockingly, Israel's done evil in the sight of the Lord again, right? We're back to this, the, the cycle of um, things are bad, they cry out, God helps them, they go back to being bad, right? That's kind of the, the story of the book of Judges, story of many of our lives, actually, right? Um, it's the Midianites, that's the tribe that God's using to, to harass them and put them down. Um, and the Midianites, the way they play the game here uh, is to wait for Israel to grow up all their crops and their animals and then come in and take them. Um, I think that's pretty smart, actually, right? They, they, here's, here's the Midianites. Well, let's see here. We can go take some seed from them and some baby goats and raise them up and you know, farm all that stuff for a few months and then eat it. Or let's let them do the work and we'll just go take it from them. I, 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 I like door number two there, right? That's a pretty good idea. So that, that's how they're going is, uh, you know, letting Israelite, the Israelites do all the work, and then they take their stuff. Um, so we find Gideon, as the story opens, he's trying to take the wheat that he actually had gotten to harvest for himself and make it useful with the, the whole process there. We'll get into that later. But he's hiding from the Midianites doing that, hoping no one, no one sees him. And then while he's doing that, God comes and tells him that he's going to be the one to deliver Israel this time. And just, I'm summarizing the story for you here, if you're not familiar with it. Uh, Gideon then starts with his series of doubtings and uh, dodgings and, well, don't you think, and maybe kind of stuff. And God's pretty uh, gracious the whole time here, which is uh, part of what I want to talk about today. Um, the first thing uh, Gideon gets is a miraculous consuming of, of his meat and broth offering by some fire. That, that's to show him that that's really God. And then uh, Gideon, it, God tells Gideon to tear down an idol on his father's property. Uh, so he does, and, and he does this at night, fearful for his life. And then uh, when he does that, his father kind of comes back to paying attention to what God's all about and uh, cha actually challenges the Baal worshipers in the, in the town to see what's what. And then from there, uh, God calls on Gideon to take down the Midianite army. 
And when Gideon hears this, he, he pulls the very famous, uh, there's the fleece wet or dry game a couple of times. Um, and God's merciful there too and, and helps Gideon get through his, his fears and doubts and, and goes on into chapter 7 where the battle occurs and that, we'll talk about that next week. So that's the, the story we're dealing with today. Okay, that's the story of Gideon's beginnings. So what I want to talk about is that doubting that I referenced. It's very notorious. Gideon is, uh, you know, that's what people think of him most times is putting the fleece out to see if God's really with him or not. Um, and I want to look at that doubt, and I want to look behind it to see what's going on there, to, to see that um, most likely what Gideon is struggling with there is some fear and some lack of faith. And I think most of us would probably relate to that pretty well. Uh, so I want to um, e explore that today. And when I started to think about it, to, to what I was going to say today, I, I was pretty convinced I was going to rip right into Gideon for doubting. You know, just twice the same game he had to play within like the same day. And a lot of people portray him as a hero because, you know, he ended up winning the battle. Uh, every step of the way, though, he's constantly putting off a vibe of, really? No, not me. I don't think so. Can you prove that? What's going on? Huh? No. Uh, and that kind of thing. He's dodging a lot. Um, eventually, he did obey. Right? Eventually, he did indeed do what God told him to do, and God did his mighty work through him. And pretty clearly, the weakness of Gideon was intended to make it clear that God was the one winning the victory. And that's a great display of how God works with all of us. So that's a great part of the story. Um, and when I started to think about Gideon's doubt and the way he, he you know, carried off the, the whole process of moving forward, I began to think about, well, who else in the Bible has doubted? You know, he's not alone in this, obviously. It's, it's pretty common. And I started to look through and look stuff up. And I was on a quick list of the people who doubted God in, in like overt ways, okay? And, and it woke me up to realize that, you know, let's think about this again. Adam and Eve, they doubted God because they listened to Satan when he said, did God really say, you shall die, kind of thing. Abraham and Sarah, both, they separately, independently questioned if they could have a child at their age. And in fact, Sarah even laughed at God. That's where her son's name, Isaac, it came from. It means laughter. Uh, and then Moses, of course, he, he, I can't speak well, God, and, and I need help and can't do this, and God gave him Aaron to help him out with that. The entire nation of Israel, they doubted that God would deliver them into the promised land, and they wandered for 40 years because of it. King David, I read the book of Psalms, got some doubts in there, right? Elijah, he asked to die. He, he asked God to kill him because he thought he was the only one left serving God. He doubted. Um, the prophet Jeremiah, uh, he thought he was too young to serve God. Um, Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, he had the same uh, response uh, Abraham and Sarah did about uh, having a child at his age, and he was struck mute for a few months until the baby was born. All the disciples that followed Jesus doubted him about several things along the way, the feeding of the 5,000. How are we going to feed all these people with these little bit? Where are we going to get the money for that? You know, we're going to die in the storm when Jesus was right there with them. You know, they, all, they all doubted. And of course, Famously, doubting Thomas. We don't call him that for a joke. He doubted that Jesus really died, or really died and rose from the dead. Now, he didn't doubt that he died. He doubted that he rose from the dead. Um, so very clearly, we have a, a long list of people that are, in many ways, heroes of our faith, uh, clearly doubting God. So when I realized that, I thought about it, and, and you know, doubt is just part of who we are as people. It, it's a fact of life. Um, and we have a tendency, probably most of us, to be skeptical, uh, to question, and, and to want to know for sure what's going on, to prove things. Um, and honestly, that's probably pretty healthy in some, some circumstances. It keeps us safe in dangerous situations, right? If you, you know, don't think about what's going on and you do stupid things, you get hurt, right? So there, there's some, some uh, measure of intelligence in, in doubting and, and, and thinking about stuff. Um, keeping your guard up, sort of, if you want to look at it that way. Um, and in matters of our faith, 
you know, you, you look at doubt with uh, a, you know, a, a crossed eye and say, what's wrong with you? But there's probably some necessity to doubting if you think about how our, how our faith turns into reality. Um, a man named Kim, Tim Keller, a very famous uh, pastor who writes a lot of books, I read this quote from him. I don't quote people often, but I thought this is a good one. Uh, a faith without some doubts is like a human body without antibodies, without any antibodies in it. People who go through life too busy or indifferent to ask hard questions about why they believe as they do will find themselves defenseless against either the experience of tragedy or the probing questions of a smart skeptic. A person's faith can collapse almost overnight if he has failed over the years to listen patiently to his own doubts, which should only be discarded after long reflection. So if we don't ever skeptically think about why we believe what we believe, hard times can shake that. Uh, you know, if we don't have a faith that's rooted in real understanding of who God is, people can shake us off of that by asking questions that are hard to answer. There are a lot of hard to, hard to answer questions uh, regarding faith. But all of that doubt really should be pointed to ourselves, right? Are we understanding correctly? Do we really believe this, that kind of stuff? The difference here with what Gideon did is he was doubting what God was saying to him and asking him to do, and pretty clearly asking to. This isn't one of those, I have this feeling that God wants me to. He was talking to the angel of the Lord, okay? Um, and this, I don't think that's really uh, what doubt is about. I think that's a real manifestation of his fear and of his lack of faith to, uh, to do um, to trust in God taking care of him. And that's a huge difference. It's a huge difference between wondering if I'm understanding what the faith means and understanding um, what it is to follow Jesus and to live a life that's holy and separate from the world and to, to be sanctified, you know, to set apart and all those things that we talk about in churchy words. To understand all that, there should be some measure of questioning and what does this mean and that, that's, a, that's a smart thing to do. But to, to wonder when God's telling you flat out, you know, Moses, the burning bush, right? That, that's, that's other than just, hey, I'm keeping my guard up. That's, a, that's an unwillingness to follow God. And I want us to realize that that fear that we all probably share along the way somewhere, that is not enough to keep us from following, right? It, it's, a, it's a hindrance, but God can overcome that with us. So those, th that's the idea I want us to hear today, is that your fears that you have, and you have them, so do I, those fears that you have, are not enough to keep you from following Jesus. So I wanna, I wanna talk about that this time. So the first reason that fear doesn't need to stop you is that honestly, God, honestly guys, God sees our potential when we don't. He sees the great potential that we have. And I'm gonna read from uh, the book of Judges now, the, the, a, few, a few pieces along the way to help you see that. So in Judges chapter six, verse 11, it says, now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizarite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. So there's Gideon hiding, like I referenced earlier. He's afraid of the Midianites, okay, which is rational, right? They were, these people were, you know, think like the Mongol hordes riding on the horses, taking all their stuff kind of thing. Um, it was intelligent to be afraid of those people. They were, they were wiping out Israel. So what, what he's doing, if you're not aware of, of the circumstances, the way that in, that in those days that wheat was made usable is they would have to like beat on it to crack the shell open, and then uh, it would be little like flakes and kernels of shell, and then they would kind of lift it around in the air and let the wind blow away the chaff, it's called, and they'd have the, the usable wheat after that. So that's what he was doing. And you usually did this in an open place, often on a hilltop, so the wheat would, or the chaff would blow away, make it easy for yourself. He was down in a wine press, basically a hole in the ground where they would squish grapes for wine, 
where there's no wind. So he was kind of making this really hard on himself to hide. So that, that's the idea. He was hiding. That, that's the, it's not directly stated, but that's going on. And God called him a man of valor. Now, either God doesn't know what that means, or we're mistaken here, right? We're misunderstanding. That's absurd to us, right? To look at this guy hiding from the Midianites. He's a weak, cowardly guy, and his, his entire demeanor all the way shows that. For him to lead the nation of Israel to deliverance from the Midianites is a joke, right? But it's not absurd to God. In fact, we see that it, it worked out, that it wasn't absurd. God knew what he was going to do with Gideon. So what happens, I think, in, in these circumstances when these fears overtake us, we look at ourselves or the people around us, and we see the weaknesses that we have and the shortcomings, and we just know this ain't going to work out. Right? It's just not going to happen. Um, there's a flip side to that. Okay, So while we, while we don't want to think too lowly of ourselves, as we're going to talk about, we know people who think too highly of themselves as well. We all do. And those, that doesn't work any better. So you need that kind of happy medium in the middle of that, understanding who you are. I don't have the reference, but in the book of Romans, it says, think of yourself soberly as you ought to. Right? Think of yourselves as you ought to. You have skills. You have talents. You ought to be able to use them. You're good at some things, right? But you're not good at everything. You shouldn't know everything. Nobody does. So there's a balance there. But Gideon's way far the other way, right? He, I can't do anything. I'm the weakest of the weak kind of thing. So... Um, when we're in that circumstance, here God's telling, calling a man of valor because he knew what he was going to do with him. God has made us to be who we are, right? If we're following Jesus, God has saved us from all the, the weakness and wrecks that we are. We're not perfect yet, but he's growing us in that. And, and the, um, the reality is we don't think highly enough of ourselves to do the things that we ought to do when we let fear take over. When we fear and we think we can't do it and then get paralyzed by that, that's because we don't trust God that made us who we are and that we can, we can do what he wants us to do. As I was preparing to do this, I read another thing this week. I didn't even know who the author was. It was just something I was reading. And I want to read it to you. Again, I don't, I don't do this very often, but I want to read this sentence out. And I have, a, I have a list of all the verses it came from. So guys, hang on for a second. Don't put that slide up until I actually finish reading because I want you to just hear the sentence. When I read the sentence, I'm like, wow, this is powerful. And, then, and in my version here, all the little verses are noted, but I want you to hear it first before you see the verses, okay? It says, do you realize who you are, who you really are? One of the biggest lies we tell ourselves is that God only uses special people. If you are a born-again believer, if you are following Jesus, you are God's child, his friend, and his masterpiece. You have been justified, freed forever from condemnation by God. You are adopted into his family, and your citizenship is in heaven. You belong to God, never to be separated from his love. And you have everything from him you need for life and godliness. God knows who you are, even if you don't. And he will work to help you see your true identity. Okay, guys, put that slide up. I want to go back through that. I, that was really powerful, I thought, to, to just think all, all that list of things that we are. So it said we are God's child, which is from the book of John, right? We're his friend, also from John. His masterpiece, that's from the book of Ephesians. We've been justified, which means it, it we're made just as if I'd never sinned. That's what that means. Um, totally just, it's wiped away there. That's from the book of Romans. We're freed forever from condemnation from God. Also from the book of Romans, one of the best verses in the Bible, if you're looking for that kind of thing. You are adopted into his family in Ephesians. Uh, your citizenship's in heaven from Philippians. You belong to God. That's from 1 Corinthians. Never to be separated from his love. That's from Romans. And then we have everything we need for life and godliness. That's from Peter. So that's several different places in the Bible we see that sentence of who we are. That's not a guy that needs to be a coward in the wine press, right? That's someone that can go do what God wants him to do. 
So I want to encourage you to there to look past the fears that we have of our inadequacies, our failings, and they're there. We all have them. We should. We should know those things about ourselves. And instead, look at yourself the way God sees you. Otherwise, like Gideon, we're just going to be paralyzed by our fear. If you don't know that God made you to be used by him, he did. Okay? Now, I don't know how many of you guys know I have a lot of kids. And when you have a lot of kids and you have been in a Christian family for a while, you watch a few Veggie Tales, okay? <laughs> so, and I've watched, I think all of them, I don't know, I've lost track, and I love them, guys. For those of you who don't know Veggie Tales, it's really worth an investment of your time. They're really just fantastic kids' shows. I'm gonna show you a little clip. I honestly think, I wanna show this someday just as our church lesson, this thing. I'm gonna show this little piece, all right? This is good stuff. It's from the, the Veggie Tales called The Snoodle's Tale, all right? So I'm gonna set it up for you because I'm gonna show you uh, about two minutes worth of it. Uh, Snoodle is just some made-up creature by the VeggieTale people that is created out of some power. It's all like an allegory for God, right? And the, uh, they, they're born with little tiny wings and a paintbrush and I think a kazoo or something like that because they make music, paint, and then can fly. They're just happy little guys. And this, this little guy's born and he's happy and he's trying to do his stuff. He's a little kid. He's making messy pictures and falling down when he flies. And all the older Snoodles make fun of him. And you can't do this. You're you, kind of like this. You're weak. You're a loser. You can't do it. So he feels bad and runs away. So that's where we pick this up. He's running away trying to just deal with life. So play that clip for us and listen really carefully to what the man on the mountain says. He thought of the snoodles. He thought of the tower. He thought of the bell that would chime on the hour. He thought of his pack and his very long walk. He thought it so loudly, he heard his thoughts talk. Hello, said his thoughts. You've made quite a climb. That voice, he remarked, doesn't sound much like mine. Then he turned and he noticed he wasn't alone, for a man stood behind near a cave in the stone. He looked like a snoodle, though quite a bit bigger. Maybe a giant, the small snoodle figured. I'm going, the snoodle boy said with a huff. And don't paint a picture, I've got quite enough. But first, come inside, the man said. Have some tea. I'm so very pleased that you're visiting me. The snoodle boy stopped, though he'd only gone inches, and stared at the stranger he'd found on Mount Ginches. He didn't seem angry. In fact, he looked kind. The poor little boy was confused. Are you blind? I'm puny. I'm silly. I'm not all that smart. I can't use my wings, and I'm no good at art. The stranger leaned down with a pain in his heart. Who told you these things? He asked. How do you know? These pictures I have in my pack tell me so. The small snoodle sniffled and started to go. First, if you please, let me look at this art. That makes your pack heavy and weighs down your heart. Then picture by picture, he unpacked the bag that bent the poor snoodle and made his wings sag. Dear boy, said the man, these look nothing like you. Then into the fire, the pictures he threw. He rose from his chair, saying, Wait there, you'll see that what you need most is a picture from me. The snoodle sat patiently, sipping his tea. Then from a room in the back, he returned and said, Dear little snoodle, it's time that you learned what you really look like. And he threw off the sheet, 
and what the boy saw warmed him right to his feet. The boy in the portrait looked older and strong, with wings on his back that were sturdy and long, and a look in his eye, both courageous and free. Sir? Asked the boy. Are you saying that's me? I like to believe it, but sir, I'm afraid to. But I know who you are, the man said, for I made you. I built the tower and set it in motion. I planted the meadow, put fish in the ocean, and I feed the finches, though most noodles doubt it. Not one of them falls that I don't know about it. I've seen you fall down in the mud and the goo. I've seen all you've done and all you will do. I gave you your pack and your paints and your wings. I chose them for you. They're your special things. The Snoodle Kazoo is so you can sing about colors in autumn or flowers in spring. I gave you your brushes in hopes that you'd see how using them you could make pictures for me. Most of the Snoodles, the old one said sadly, just use their paints to make others feel badly. I know who you are because I made you. That's what God says to this little guy, and that's what he says to you too. Okay, when you feel about yourself that you can't do, he made you. And if he's putting you in a position to do something, you can do it. Okay, so I want to encourage you to have that snoodle's heart. I just, I love that part. I, I know who you are because I made you. That, that's the way God looks at us. And actually, that's helped me look at you guys too. When I look around at people and I want to think they're weak and they can't do, not that I think that of you guys, but you know, when you think badly of people, God looks at them differently. He knows who they are. He made them. Consider that as, as you're, you know, fearful about how things are. God's there. He's with us, okay? The second reason fear shouldn't stop us. God's with us even when it doesn't look like it, okay? You look at the circumstances with the Midianites, and boy, that looks brutal, okay? In fact, Gideon calls him out on that. In Judges 6.13, I'm going to read that one. It says, and Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hands of Midian. All right, so that's, that, and that's the common attitude that most people have about uh, their circumstances around us. If things are bad, God can't be in it, right? That, that's a valid look at life from most people's perspective. So this is different, though. If you consider much of the rest of how Judges has gone so far, the language used in most other places is that they, they forgot the Lord. They put him away, didn't know about him, didn't care about him. Here, we have Gideon saying, hey, didn't you do all this? And, and where are you now? Kind of thing. The circumstances that we're in now doesn't look like when before when you were with Israel. Very different, right? That's, that's not the same as, you know, just putting God in the back burner and we don't want to hear about it. And of course, we're going to get whacked, right? Gideon's trying to play the um, hey, what happened here, card? I think we give him a little too much credit, though, when we just read that verse. That's a problem sometimes when you just read a verse of the Bible. If you look back at verses 7 through 10, we know why Gideon knew this, actually. In verse 7, it says, When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, so they'd already cried out, Hey, help us. The Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. And I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Oh, well, that's a little bit different now, isn't it? So 
in that, we have two things. First of all, we see the source of how Gideon knew what was going on, right? Because the prophet had been there talking about these things. So even if Israel had tried to put God aside, when they finally called on him, he reminded them of what he had done. Okay, so that's why Gideon knew that. But also we have God's answer as to why things are going bad for them as well. Okay, Gideon, you know what Gideon's doing here? He's playing a typical little kid's game. Well, you said, right, that, that's what he's doing. Didn't you say that you would? And just like a little kid, he's neglecting the whole sentence that God said to him, right? This is how it's going to go if you obey my commands. And, uh, you know, the reality is, as God said, they've ignored him. They did put him on the back burner and did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Okay? So we see it, God's watching over him. Actually, he is there. The reason the Midianites are giving him a hard time is because he was watching them and seeing what they were doing. And when they were walking away from him, the consequences became bad. And then when it got bad enough, Israel cried out to God. Again, that cycle we see in the, in the book of Judges. One thing I hope that we can get out of this, seeing this repetitive cycle, is that we can break it for ourselves, right? That we can not need things to get so bad that it hurts before we call on God. That, that would be a good learning process out of reading the book of Judges, right? Um, a, one more quote, my apologies. C.S. Lewis, very famous Christian writer, he said this, and I, just, I couldn't not say this because it speaks right to it. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but he shouts at us in our pain. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world, okay? So when things are so bad that they've hurt, that they hurt, it means they've gotten, you've gotten so far away from God that he's got to use that to wake you up. Because if you're close to him, you can hear him. He's whispering, you're close, and things are good, right? When you get farther and farther away, it's a, I just realized, perfect analogy. When we're close, we can talk like this, and you can hear me. Matthias, can you hear me? He can hear me, right? Even without the microphone. Half you guys heard me. So when you're close, you can hear. When you're far away, you got to shout, right? And that's... That, that's right, Gary, right? So that, that's a reality. So that's, when we get far away from God, he's got to shout at us. Don't make him shout at us, right? That's the idea here is that we don't want to get to that point. So God's there. He's watching. Even when it feels like he's not because things are so bad, the so bad part is probably because of us, most likely, okay? Um, and that's where fear, it goes further than fear, just into lack of faith. You don't believe he's even there. If things aren't working out the way I want to, you know, that, that God can't be there, so now what? Now I'm really in trouble. Now that's when fear really is going to take over, when you don't think God is even there because you're on your own then. That's, that's pretty bad news. Um, when, when circumstances don't work out the way we think we, they should, right, the way we our view they ought to be, um, that, just, that can't override our knowledge of who God is. If we have an understanding that God is always there and always watching out for us for our benefit, then, then when we get away from that, we're, we're denying that knowledge and, and we're losing track of things. And things start going south from that, from what we think it ought to be. We're just not trusting him and all of a sudden it looks like he's not there, right? So these are all natural reactions of, you know, fearing when things aren't working out, thinking God's not there, but they're natural, they're of our flesh. And that's not a good reaction. We need to react from our spirit, which knows God is there. So let's just remember he's there and that'll help when we fear, right? We'll, we'll, we'll get past that. I mean, little kids all the time, when things go bad, they want their mom and dad. They run to them. Well, run to God, and then that's the same result there. Third reason we, should let, um, we shouldn't let our fear keep us from doing what God wants us to do. Um, God's going to help you overcome those shortcomings that you perceive. Okay, so he sees you as you are, no matter what you think of yourself. But even when you do think of yourself that way, if you're willing to, you know, do what he says, he'll help you overcome those things if they are actually shortcomings, Okay. 
In Judges uh, 16, uh, or, I'm sorry, 6, verse 14 through 16, this is, this is the interaction from, with Gideon that, that shows you this. Uh, verse 14 it says, And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. So here we see full evidence of Gideon's fear and lack of faith. My house is the weakest, and I'm the weakest of the weak, right? Um, he's given a very clear and undeniable order from God. This is your job, okay? He's told what's going to happen. This remarkable reality, you're going to win. He told him up front. And he's promised that partnership from God that's not going to go. That, that who, who better do you want on your side? God's on your side, right? You got, um, go do this. I can't. I'm going to be with you, and you're going to win. There you go. That's it. But obviously, that's, Gideon didn't receive that well, right? And really, when it all comes down to it, the, the fact of the matter that Gideon was missing, this was never about Gideon. This is about what God was going to do, right? Gideon is what he's, the tool he's using to do it, but God was going to do this thing. And whenever we don't think we can do something, we're probably right, honestly. You know, we're not... We're not capable of doing a lot of stuff that has to happen in life without God being in the background of that or actually really doing it. Um, so it's okay to, to have that hesitancy, can I really do what God wants me to do? But when we know he's called us to do it, we know he's going to do it. God's general order of business, as shown in the scripture, is to use weak things to defeat strong things and to give evidence of his strength to everybody. That's his typical manner. In fact, in, in Corinthians... 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he says that directly. Paul says directly, this is what God is going to do. He's writing to the Corinthians who were a messed up lot. We, did, uh, we studied through 1 Corinthians, I believe it was last year, so sometime, two years ago, I don't remember. It's relatively recent in the history of the church. Um, and they were messed up. They were not model citizens, okay? And Paul says to them, this is God's plan for you. In, in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 25, it says, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring, nothing, to, bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So we should not expect to need to be experts for God to use us. Now, I, I thought about this. On the flip side, God uses experts too, right? There's people that are good at stuff that God uses, and that's awesome. No, you know, I'm not going to, any of you experts in things want to do stuff for us, come right ahead, no problem. Um, but we shouldn't expect to have to be that expert because God's not looking for the superstar to fix the world. God's looking to fix people. God's looking to show his, his power in these things. And he's going to use whoever's willing and faithful to show his glory. That's who he's looking for. Um, if we become prideful in those things, we're actually not useful, right? If we think we're doing it, we're, we're working against what God's trying to... He, we're not on the same game plan, okay? The, if we're all not working together as a team, we're defying the coach, that doesn't work out so well. Okay, check out professional sports to see some <laughs> antics there. Guys, don't, don't play well, they get rid of them, right? Or they don't play as a team, they get rid of them. So 
our highest goal really should be to hear from God and follow what he wants us to do, not to be a superstar, but to just do what God wants. Our highest goal should be to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a few little things. I'll give you some big things, come enter into the master's rest. Paraphrase a little bit there. But that really is, is the, should be the goal of anyone who follows Jesus is to just follow and be faithful. If we feel like we need to be a superstar, we're missing the point. And if you feel like you need to be a superstar even to take the first step, you've really missed the point because that's not how God rolls, okay? So if we're fearful in, in moving forward and God, what God wants us to do in life, whatever that is, it's probably because we're trying to count on ourselves rather than count on him. And that's not in the playbook, right? That doesn't work. On top of that, I assure you, based on evidence from Scripture, from knowing God for the years that I have, if he wants you to do something, if he's got in mind for that to happen, he is going to make you able to do it. He will somehow equip you in ways that you never thought of to do that thing that you never thought you could do. And it could be little things. It could be things, big things. I don't know where you're at today. Okay, you could just need to get up and go to work tomorrow. You don't want to go. God will get you there. Okay, it could be that simple. It could be you got something really big to do. I don't know, right? Wherever you're at, God's going to get you there. And he's going to make it in your life so that you can do those things you need to do. He is faithful that way. It's very clear through Scripture. Okay, last reason that I don't think fear should need to stop us from doing what God wants us to do. When you are afraid, and you will be, oh, you will be, um, God's willing to soothe those fears. He's not going to leave us hanging out there and just say, hey, suck it up, what's your problem? Okay, that's what I would do. Sorry. Um, he's, he's willing to get you there. Okay, Judges 6, uh, 17 and 18. Um, this is in response to uh, Gideon saying, I can't do this. And he said to him, if, this is Gideon speaking, if now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said to Gideon, God said to Gideon, I will stay until you return. And then Gideon goes and does his uh, stuff with the, the food that God burns up miraculously. And then also we go on to see the fleece thing. And all of that, that whole, the rest of the chapter, it's Gideon doubting and putting before God, hey, do something special, weird, kind of basically supernatural to let me know that you're there. And in all of that, God means what he says. I will stay until you return. He's not going anywhere. He's with him until the end of the line. Okay? So the, the events here that we see consuming the, the offering and uh, the, the fleece and all that, those are, honestly, for Gideon, those are demonstrations of his lack of faith. Uh, as you read through this, you'll see Gideon refer to this angel as Lord, the, the word for God. Gideon knows exactly who he's dealing with. By the end of it, maybe not right away, but by the end of this, he knows he's talking to God. In fact, he says, oh no, I've seen God, I'm going to die. And God comforts him, no, you won't. Okay, so he knows who he's dealing with. So he knows he's dealing with God, and, and he was given a clear directive. At that point, guys, I'm going to say, just as a bit of advice, we probably shouldn't ask for confirming miracles, I think. I mean, Gideon did it, and God didn't kill him, so... We're probably not going to get killed by God if we do that. But I just don't think it's a, a good strategy. I don't think it's the way we should um, pursue following God. We should trust him if, if we know he's talking to us, which today we're not probably going to see the angel of the Lord, the burning bush, and all that stuff. We're going to hear him in here most of the time, and the Spirit's going to confirm those things for us, and the people we know are going to confirm those things. But he mostly speaks to us through this, okay? So if you hear and hear that he wants you to do X, Y, or Z, whatever that is, you probably need to listen, okay? You, you probably shouldn't need that fleece to be dry when it should be wet. 
you probably shouldn't need the stuff to get burned up that can't get burned. Probably. I, I, I think that's, that's me giving you some advice. I don't have a, a dictate from Scripture because God was gracious to this guy. He did it for him. Okay? Um, so I don't, I don't want us to think Gideon's a model. Sometimes we look at these Old Testament guys and we think since they're there, we should do what they do. And, you know, clearly we shouldn't be King David and commit adultery and kill the, the woman's husband. That's, you know, not a model, right? And Gideon's not a model here for, for how to follow God. It is a, it's really what it is, is a, a evidence for us that God's gracious when we don't trust him. And he's, good, he's willing to, to work with us and help us out. Same thing with Thomas, right? Jesus is standing right in front of him. No, I guess he didn't. He's, he appeared, but whatever. I won't believe him unless I put my fingers in the holes. There it is. I, we don't have Thomas's reaction recorded, but I would hope it was on his knees, my Lord, my God, right? That, how, do you, how do you stand in front of Jesus seeing the holes and need to put your fingers in them, really, right? We don't know that. I hope that's what it was. But um, even there, uh, Jesus was gracious to Thomas. He, he gave him the evidence he was looking for. So uh, I would recommend we take God at his word, but it also, the Bible shows us that he's gracious to, to help us through that if we fear. Um, one last note out of this as we, we kind of wrap things up. Um, this is the place where God gets Gideon moving forward on his journey to leading Israel, right? It was him pulling him out of the wine press and saying, you're going to go do this. But before he did this, he gave him a command to go take care of his own house, right? Before Gideon can be used in public to lead Israel, he had to clean up his own backyard. In, on uh, Gideon's family property, well, now Gideon wasn't in charge of his family, so it's not necessarily his, you know, it's not on him at this point. Uh, specifically, but they had uh, idols. They had the, the Baal altars and the Asherah pole stuff that Sean's been referring to over the last few weeks, the, the different ways to worship these false gods. And God's first assignment to him was to take care of business there. He told him, uh, take your dad's special bull that everybody in the town uses for breeding stock. It's like the best bull in town. Pull that thing down, pull down that, that pole and that altar, and then kill that bull as a sacrifice to me. That, that's, that was Gideon's job. So Gideon did that. He went at night because he was afraid, and he tore that stuff down, all right? And in that, it's pretty cool, um, people were not happy. The town, uh, the town was not happy. Um, you know, the God's, I think for us, the, the, the lesson we can get out of this is if you want to be a mighty man of God for Israel like this, your own, your own house has to be cleaned up, right? You can't be... Uh, you know, living in, in ways that aren't appropriate for, for God's eyes to go do stuff for him. You gotta straighten that out. Um, and when you do that, you, things are gonna get shook up a little bit. Okay, right? The family was in jeopardy now. The town came to, to take care of business. And when that happened, you know, I mean, Gideon did this at night because he was afraid of that happening if he did it in the daylight. And it happened, it happened anyway. And uh, the men came out and in, in verse 30, they're, they're saying to his dad, hey, bring out your son. We're going to kill him. He's done. Look what he did to our gods. And here we see the first spark of what God was doing with Gideon. Gideon's dad said, oh, yeah, if your God could do something about it, why doesn't he? Okay, that, that, that was the basic gist of that. So we see Gideon's dad and probably his family turning back to follow the Lord. And then from there, there went Israel and they won the battle, right? So out of that, I would say, if you're letting your fears work on you and stuff, God's got something for you to do. Part of those fears might be things in your life that you're holding on to that you shouldn't, that are in the way between you relating to God. And those gotta go. You gotta pull down those idols, right? Um, and it's interesting uh, how this affected 
Gideon's life. He, he could have been killed, obviously. God protected him. His family could have hated him. They turned, right? There's a lot of things that happened here that, that went, went the way that, um, you know, the story goes. That's a good, good story here that, that God moved and he, he, he put things, he righted the ship and got him going forward. So as we contemplate Gideon's stories, you think about these things and we'll continue talking about it next week as he wins the battle. Uh, oh, spoiler alert, sorry. Um, the, uh, the thoughts I want you to think about is the first part of Gideon's life is fearful, right? If you're fearful, learn from that. Learn from, learn from how God got Gideon past his fears, okay? And, and then follow God. And, you know, let's not make God shout at us, guys, right? That megaphone thing, I don't want to be hearing that in my ear. Let, let's, let's be close, stick close to God, and let him whisper to us. And then when you're there, when you're ready to go, and whether you feel competent or not, when things look like God's with us or not, remember, he's there. We know and we follow a God that loves us, and he's able to put us in a place where we can succeed to do what he wants us to do, because it's about him, it's not about us, right? As, as we consider these things, I'm going to ask the band to come up now so we can kind of close things down. As we consider these things, you got to look at yourself and see, you know, where your relationship with God is. You might be here for uh, you know, first time, never even thought about God before. This might be the you know, only time that you ever heard this stuff, and it's foreign to you. Well, he's talking to you, okay? He wants a relationship with you. You might have been around forever and known Jesus your whole life kind of thing, and oh, I never thought about the reasons I don't follow him when I don't. Listen, right? God's there for us because he wants a relationship, and that relationship comes when we realize we can't do things for ourselves, and when we know that God has provided our way to know him through Jesus. So if you're at any of those positions in life that you want to talk about things, certainly you can, you can chat with me. Uh, we've got several folks uh, that are leading life groups and stuff like that. I'd be willing to talk to you about it, but I would recommend that you don't turn your back on him for too long. Okay, listen to God, follow him, and don't be fearful. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you that you do give us a promise of, of uh, just doing with us the things we need to do and helping us to get through them. Father, I pray that if uh, any of us are, are fearful today of things, that, that we can hear from you and trust you and put those fears aside and move forward in whatever you have for us in life. Father, I pray for anyone who doesn't know you, that they would uh, be wanting to take that step forward to hear from you, to hear who you are, and to uh, turn their lives over to you for salvation. Father, in all these things, we ask that you would just let your spirit move and help us to understand as best we can. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.